the volume. Hey guys, it's the Sessions presented by FanDuel. It might be cold, but the sports calendar is heating up, baby, and there's no better place to get in on the action than with FanDuel. The app is safe, secure, and so, so easy to use. FanDuel always has exclusive offers, boosts, and more. And when you win, you're gonna get paid real fast. FanDuel has lots of ways to play, like with the spread, money line, over, under, team totals, player props, and so much more. You can jump into the action at any time during the game with live betting. And you can combine multiple bets from the same game in a same game parlay to try out the same game parlay plus. Get in on that. And... FanDuel is now live in Maryland, y'all. So use the promo code Renee, R-E-N-E-E, and download the FanDuel app today to start making every moment more. Disclaimer, 21 plus in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG for Colorado, Iowa, Minneapolis, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, and Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT for Indiana. 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org for Maryland. Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9789 for Tennessee. Visit ksgamblinghelp.com for Kansas. 1-800-522-4700 for Wyoming or visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. Hey guys, welcome to the best of the sessions. What we have done is we've combined the best of Tuesday's episode and Thursday's episode, mashed them together to give you a beautiful little audio gift for your ear holes. We have some awesome, awesome guests on this show. Cannot thank people enough for taking the time to, to come hang out with me. Give me a little bit of their time. We give you a little bit of that. We all get to hang out and enjoy it, learn a little bit about each other. Um, so it's really cool to mash these all together and you guys can get those little abbreviated highlights of both of the interviews throughout the week. Also, of course, if you want to listen to the full lengths, you can do that. They all exist. Uh, just make sure to check out all things from the Volume Podcast Network. Like, subscribe, turn on those notifications, all that good stuff. But let's get into it. Here's the best of the sessions. I love starting things off stressed out. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Are you okay now? I'm okay now. Sometimes you just got to like take a deep breath. Me and technology, we just don't always go hand in hand. And we just like, we're trying to get a new mic set up, a new camera set up. We're trying to make things look nice and crispy and fresh here. And um, listen, today just wasn't our day. But me and you are going to have a hell of a hangout. And that's really all that matters as far as I'm concerned. That is all that matters. Yes, it's all good. Um, so what is going on in your life right now? How's your new puppy doing? I don't have a new puppy quite yet. Um, it's not old enough to bring home. When are you getting him? I think nine more weeks. His dad is uh, 230 pounds. He's going to be a big boy. You like those big, beefy dogs, huh? I do. They like to crawl on your lap and their elbows hurt really bad on your thighs. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I love them. I'm really sorry that you guys lost your dog recently. That's we lost both. You did like lose them both. Three weeks of each other. Did one go because the other one wasn't there? Not to start off this interview as a total bummer, but I just know that that's something that just kind of happened for you. Well, cancer, you know, happens with the larger dogs like that a lot. They live a short, good life instead of a long, good life. Right. So it's, when you get a big dog, you have to go into that knowing that. Same thing with Danes and Rottweilers. Even Bulldogs. Bulldogs are like that big time, too. And John and I, sometimes we just like look at each other and we're like, don't even talk about it. Don't even think about it. Because like, oh, my gosh, it's just it's so upsetting. But you're right. They get to live great lives, even though they're not super long. But it can be hard. But I'm glad that you guys have that new one coming in like nine weeks. Do you have a name picked out already? I do. Beast. Beast. But he was born on my birthday, April, right? And I'm an Aries. So on his uh, AKC papers, it's going to read Aries, God of War. <laughs> Whoa. Damn. He's a really well-bred dog. We were on a wait list for a long time. Oh, I, I like that. Yeah, Blue's Blue's like one of those like real fancy bulldogs too. And oh my God, I just, I can't get enough of that dog. He's just been on like a, an insane diet. He dropped some pounds. He's looking slim and trim. He's doing big jumps and like... It's like healthy, sweet boy now. When do we get to see him again? Um, Gosh, I don't know. I guess depending. I don't know what your guys, sh maybe Chicago. 
Hey, how, what are you going to be doing um, with the new Japan show for uh, forbidden door? Are you going to be doing something there? I'm not sure yet. I'll probably be coaching though, for sure. How different is it for you? I mean, I know your, most of your relationships with Japanese wrestling was through, um, through all Japan. How different is that working with new Japan? I think the all Japan is more traditional. They went more traditional American style and the new Japan is more of the, you know, just move after move after move, a little different. New Japan, I really never, I've been over there a couple times for them and wrestled Muda over there. I think he was with New Japan at the time. But All Japan, man, I had a lot of fun with All Japan. It was great. You have got to do so much stuff. Like as I was getting ready for this interview and like my wrestling relationship with you of like my fandom started with the gold dust character. That was like really a thing that like truly got me into wrestling. I thought that character was just incredible. I love the matches that you had. I love the creativity of all the things that you got to do. But as I'm prepping for this interview and going back through like the catalogs of all of the things that you've been able to do um, as Dustin Rose, as the natural, as the gold dust character, I mean, there's just so much you've been able to do. And looking at your career now, The fact that you are doing the things that you are doing and having the matches that you're having is crazy. Does it feel crazy to you? Like to just be able to still be going the way that you are and and to be able to have these matches and to have the younger talent, see guys like you and punk have matches to see the matches that you and Cody had. It feels completely different than the other place. I feel respected as a talent, respected as a great worker, respected as someone who is can teach, can lead, can do just about everything you know that's asked of him, and that sticks with me. And I don't want to let go of that. So it's very hard. So almost thirty-four years in the business, right? I'm fifty-three years old. That's no secret to to anybody. But my mind is is still saying, "Hey, let's do this." But my body's starting to say, "Stop this fucking shit." <laughs> I bet it takes me a lot longer to recover from just a match, but I work sporadically. And I think that prep time is is worse when you're working less times, right? Because you go out there and you perform at 100 miles an hour and you get back and then you go to bed and the next day and then the next day you start to hurt. So everything sinks in and it lasts right now, it lasts about a week and a week and a half for me. Do you wish that you were doing more matches so that your body wouldn't have as much time to recover? Or do you really need to take that time to have those more sporadic matches, have that downtime to recover, let your body heal, and then set it back up for for war again? I think I've wrestled just about everybody that, you know, you could possibly put me in the ring with. The one that I really just missed the boat on was Randy Savage, but... Just about everybody else I've worked with, man. And it's pretty impressive the people that I've worked with, the big names that I've worked with. Right now, for me to go like on a WWE schedule, you get callous, your body gets used to it again, right? So it might be again. But I have some, you know, my shoulders are pretty banged up and my knees are pretty banged up. So Tony lets me know a few days, you know, before we're going to do this or a week before. And it's like, so I get a little prep time you know, to kind of get in the zone for it and really work out and and do the right things that I need to do to be prepared for it, right? What do you attribute your longevity to? I mean, you look great. I don't know what it is that you're doing, but uh, you you look really great. And you're a man that's like aging like a fine wine. Uh, So what is it? I think where it all started was when I was having my issues with drugs and alcohol. Not to be a Debbie Downer or anything, but sometimes I like telling my story, right? I love getting into a story. I mean, that's what makes people interesting to me. I, I love, you know, people have their ups and their downs and they go through their shit. And I know you've been very open about yours and you've written about it and you've talked about it. You were actually the very first person uh, when all this stuff happened with John. You were the first person that messaged me. So I, I always greatly appreciate that. So I would love to hear more of your story. So years and years ago, I had an injury to my knee first time with Shawn Michaels, right? And this was like 96, I think. And I started taking, you know, asking for a couple of Vicodins, some opioids, right? And, you know, those took the edge off and I just kept working. You tape it up and you go because back then we didn't have the, the doctors on call like we do now, right? And 
Vince one night, he saw me in the bathroom, popping a pill. And it was just me and him in the bathroom and I was painting my face. We had a conversation for about 30 minutes on why I should not do what I'm doing and get addicted to the things because he's seen it before and he's watched them come and go and die from him. He was really talking to me like a father figure. And I'm listening to him. I'm painting my face and I'm trying to respect what he's saying and all that. But I was going to do what I was going to do. So then that too led to four, 10, 20, 50. And then you have like six stints with WWE because you're, there's no accountability. I can work hard, give my best in the ring, right? And then all the other stuff that's going on in my life, it just takes over and the depression, the drugs. And that's all I want is to find my next fix, my next drink, my next eight ball of cocaine. And there's that downward spiral. Then you lose sight of you have a daughter that is 10 years old and you're doing this. So you're not in her life for a few years, which when I talk about this and my daughter, it always, always breaks me up. And it's really tough to know that, you know, you're so encompassed into taking drugs and alcohol and stealing from your parents just to find your drugs, right? I had three doctors. I had two pill ladies. I had a house paid for on acreage. I lost it all. I pawned everything that I had. And at the very, very end in like 2008, I lived in a connected garage, one stall garage to somebody's house that I was renting out for a hundred bucks a month. I had a little bitty Honda Civic car, still trying to find things to pawn, still trying to sell things and try to you know, steal from my dad. Hey, I need this for a bill or whatever. That's what I mean by stealing. They would send me some money, right? And that would go straight to the pills or straight to alcohol or straight to cocaine. And in 2008, I was really at the worst, right? It was a good two years of really solid, not giving a fuck about anything or anybody, wanting to die, wanting to not feel anymore wanting to not be around anybody anymore. I had my wife and she was with me. She wasn't an alcoholic. She wasn't a drug addict. She stuck with me, right? And she stayed beside me the whole time. And the last two years, I didn't go anywhere. You know, I didn't want to do anything. And I was up to 80 pills a day. The last couple of years, I was up to a half a gallon of vodka every single day and an eight ball of cocaine every three days. So that's what I was taking. So the straw that kind of broke or whatever was uh, I was laying in bed and I was really drunk and I didn't get drunk. Okay. So something was wrong. Taking so many pills or whatever. I was so dizzy. It wouldn't stop. The next day, same thing. Try to drink, try to take pills, more stuff to kick out of it. Nothing happened. The third day, I remember my wife like get up in the middle of the night. So I would take all the Vicodins and stuff and Lortaps during the day, cocaine vodka nonstop and then take Xanax to come down at nighttime. They'll kill you. I was up to like eight or 10 of those, the big ones. I would wake up in the middle of the night and she would look at me and I would pop two more thinking I can't sleep when I was just asleep. So the third day of that little downward rock bottom, I guess, divine intervention or something, it was three in the morning, raining outside. My dad had given me a prepaid cell phone. So I had a cell phone. It was a flip phone, but it was like, whatever. I didn't use the internet. I didn't use anything like that. So I woke up and Terrell is laying next to me and I say, I've had enough. And I wanted to go call my dad. So I'm really fucked up and she's trying to help me outside because there's no cell service and I have to crawl up on a hill to get one bar. And I crawled up on the hill in the mud and the rain and she's helping me and I'm stumbling and I'm crying. And I just told him, I said, um, I want you to call WWE and get me into rehab. Not that day, but the next day, they got me a flight to Fort Lauderdale or West Palm. And they were really worried that I wouldn't get on the plane. I'd made my mind up, but I understand why they were worrying. I got on my first flight, loaded up, got on the, you know, the, the layover in Atlanta, loaded up and down to West Palm. Pretty shit-faced. And the guy picked me up in the car service or whatever and I was like, stop at the store, I'm going to get a 12-pack. So stopped at the store, I got a 12-pack, I drank about six before we got to the, the place. And I don't remember anything else. I had eight days of medical-induced 
detox. But I was pretty out of it the whole eight days. It was, I don't remember like going through serious withdrawals or shakes or whatever. I just remember at the two-week point, I couldn't sleep. Two weeks in, three weeks in, you see for the first time in a long time. And your parents come visit, your wife. Everybody knew you were so fucked up, but you didn't know what kind of pain it caused them. Certainly didn't know what kind of pain it was causing me. We don't know when we're too far gone. There's no, hey man, I can do this. I can do this myself. It is impossible. But it only works when you're ready. I was ready. So I made the decision once they got me pretty cleaned out and I started seeing some things for the first time, right? In a long time, made the decision to like stick to it. And there were several things that had to happen for me to stick to this. And that was number one, I had to take care of my recovery first before my daughter, before work, before anything. So of course I'm automatically going, hey man, I need to do this with my daughter. I need to do that. I need to find a job now. I need to do this. I'm clean, whatever. I'm not, not there yet. It takes a long time. So for two years straight, I went to AA meetings and I missed maybe a handful over the two years. And that's what did it for me. When you sit in these rooms, right? And you're scared to share, you don't want to say anything, but then you see somebody that is fresh, fresh, right out of, you know, a three-day detox and they're fucked up still. And then you got people in there with 23 years of experience or 30 years of experience and they're like the leaders or whatever, but it's like, you see this person fucked up and it's like, damn, I was that bad. I was like that not too long ago, right? So Dakota's mom would call me and say, you need to come get Dakota. And I would just tell her, no, I can't. I have to do this first. I have to take care of myself. It takes some time. You make amends to all the people that you've harmed. And I think I've done most of them, I think, uh, over the years. Me and Dakota are closer than ever. And, you know, that's all I can do is say I'm sorry to her, right? It took me about a year before I could be around somebody drinking. And it still happens today. If somebody says the word cocaine, I smell it. I don't want it, though. I don't want opiates, alcohol, none of that shit. So it doesn't bother me now. And now I'm coming up on 14 years. It's a long time, but it's still one day at a time, right? And from that moment, that changed for me with my body. And it changed my mindset of, okay, I have a lot of catching up to do, and that's okay. I've lost a lot, but now I'm going to gain it back and work hard for it. And from when my dad saw me in um, rehab, the first time he said, keep stepping. And every day he would call me and we would talk a little bit, right? The end of the conversation would always be keep stepping. So that's kind of what I live. It's been a long journey to get back to where I need to be. And am I there yet? I don't know. But I think I'm pretty blessed with things that I have accomplished over the last 14 years since then. A huge comeback. Have lost all that weight, have got into shape, and has stayed in shape to the best of my ability, right? There are off days that I have, but it's like, fuck, I feel fat today. How did you lose all of that weight? Like, what was that process like for you? I mean, I mean, even just like, I mean, I can always, you know, use John as the example for this, just in terms of like when people post that photo of him, like right before he went to rehab to like right when he came back. And it's like, holy shit, night and day. And you don't really realize it when you're in it, that you're puffy and your eating habits, you know, coincide with that. All of those things that just cutting out the alcohol makes a massive difference. But what else did you do for the weight loss? When you have an addictive personality, one addiction replaces, you know, the old addictions, right? So my, my new addiction was going to the gym. Did I know anything about it? No, never really went to the gym. I just started going every day and just kind of kept with it and just kept saying to myself, I'm going to get better. And I started doing the elliptical. And that's probably the easiest thing that I can do on my knees. But that kept me going a little bit. And if I do that and keep doing that, and then I got a personal trainer, started working with her, and she's started building my body to where it's the best it's ever been for me through injuries too. And it sucks. 
certain things I can't do that I have to modify. But I'm much better off than where I used to be body-wise and, and how I moved around because it's really, it's hard when you're heavier. And, you know, when I got thinner, I started doing this like couple of spots in the ring that were really fast. And I did them for a reason. I did it for the fans to go, holy shit, this motherfucker is 53 years old and can move that fast. I tried to do a really my my usual fast spot with punk and I could tell I was a step off. So I've got to start thinking of how I can, I don't know, change some things up. What do you attribute the depression side of things to when you're talking about the drinking the vodka, the Mountain Dew, eating the pizza and just like in that like depression, like succubus? What, what do you think that was about? Do you know what a succubus is? Or wait, a succubus is like a... I like female. That was not the right word. <laughs> but that's okay. It sounded really good. I know what you meant. As soon as I said it, I was like, that's not the right word, but it sounds like it could, it sounds like the thing that I was trying to say, but it's not the right word. A succubus is like a, it's like an evil woman, isn't it? It's a female that sucks your soul. Maybe not that kind of thing, but still that dark kind of hole. I think early on when, when I was growing up, dad left. My mom raised me, right? Me and my sister, Kristen, we saw dad twice a year, if that. Christmas time, summer. In the meantime, my mom is working two or three jobs, trying to, you know, keep us fed. And uh, it wasn't an easy upbringing. It was difficult for her. And of course, her kids are going to make it more difficult on her, right? She married a couple of really bad husbands. And me and my sister were privy to a lot of physical abuse. And we're, you know, we're just young. We're in the hall, you know, I'm just got my arm around my little sister and we're just cradled there and we're just trying to hope mom doesn't die. And went through a couple of, uh, you know, husbands that were like that, both of them were. So that kind of, I guess, does something to kids, you know? The upbringing was um, very depressing. Yeah, childhood stuff is just like that. Just there's no way to just shake that stuff off. And as much as you can like move on and you become an adult and you feel like you're not that kid anymore, that stuff just sticks around no matter what. What is your, I guess, feelings and like relationship that other people have with your dad? whether it's fans, whether it's peers. I mean, he was somebody that just obviously, you know, he's Dusty Rhodes. Everybody loves Dusty Rhodes. Um, but what is, what is like your reaction to, to the people that love him and the people that got to work with him and spent time with him, especially, you know, especially a lot of the talent that came up through NXT that he really helped shape a lot of those people's careers. When he was home, he never talked to business ever. He left it at the office, right? So we got him at home fully, whether he was tired or not, and sit down and watch baseball or watch a Western movie with him. Um, that's what we did, right? We'd go out to eat, stuff like that, and just have normal conversations. When he left to go to work, and when I first started seeing it, when I worked for him, it's very different, very professional, something I haven't like dealt with yet in life, right? And he was telling me, you need to do this, you need to do that. And even when something's really good, you still want it from your father that you did an awesome job, right? And he was still saying, well, I've done this, I would have done that early on. And then as we got later in, into like the NXT days you're talking about with dad and him helping and mentoring and coaching and doing all the, the wonderful things, people grow. And I watched him grow early in the business and being in control of things stepping away, going to work for another man, right? And Vince and taking something that was given him as who knows if it was a rib or not with the polka dots. So he took that, right? And he did the very best good because that time it was financial. And then he goes on from there and he does great things. And then I come into the picture and we start working together. And we get to I get to tag with him at WCW. I get to tag with him a couple more places, right? It's really cool that I got to work in the ring with my dad against like flair and it was so cool so 80s stuff for me was really yeah the best stuff and then you grow watched him grow into the dusty stuff with, with the polka dots 
and then the stuff with me and Cody and, you know, um, back together again, all three of us, and then him NXT and kind of finishing out there and watching, you know, and going to several of his promo classes with like Charlotte and all, you know, Sasha and all the girls there, young, right? Very passionate and hungry for the business. And he would get up there and he would preach his thing, man. He would talk like Dusty Talks and everybody loved him. It was a pretty special thing to see. He touched everybody. I mean, my moments of being able to, to work and watch him. And I used to sit behind him in all the production meetings and just to like see his brain work, to see his relationships with everybody else that was working there. I mean, you think of all the people in those production meetings from Hunter to Michael Hayes, Shawn Michaels being in there, you know, just being able to see those relationships and to see your dad and the way that he was able to help shape so many of like the huge stars today. It's, it's so impressive to see. And I mean, yeah, it's, it's just the relationships that I come back to that um, everyone loved him. Another thing that I saw from dad was uh, he never had a crossword for like anybody in the business, man. I mean, he never, and I have a bad habit about that, right? I've gotten a bad habit about saying things that I don't need to say just to myself or to my wife, right? But it's still like, I'm at home. I don't need to say or think these things. He was really a good man. And he did things right there at the end, the best that he possibly could. And you could see it. And that's why all the kids talk about him today, right? Because they got that firsthand. They got the best probably the best dusty version of his life. What do you think your dad would have thought of Cody's promo on Monday night raw when he showed back up on, you know, I, I knew dad always wanted us to be happy and he would have his suggestions and things like that. And, you know, try to lead us in the right way. But ultimately these are our, our decisions, right? And money's money. And dad would always say, take the money. Always say, take the money. And I know just me watching it in his first promo and seeing dad up there, you know, on the screen and talking about him. And, and Cody's very, very passionate about his promos, about every single word that he's going to say, which is very important, right? And especially for that first one, which was very important. You're making a huge impact on a lot of people. First time you've been back in years. And he did. And um, I know dad would be happy. He's sitting in the rafters. That's where I pictured him when me and Cody wrestled at double or nothing, right? And I've talked about this a lot over the last couple of years. Having an opportunity to work with my brother and not knowing what to expect with an AEW audience. I had no idea if I was going to get any reaction at all. And just the fact that we went out there and I got a reaction. And the match was like, just for me and him, perfect. It was a long time coming that we weren't allowed in WWE to do. Stardust, not gold dust, you know? I mean, just serious brother versus brother. And it's hard to do. It's hard to do as you look at all the brother versus brothers. There's nothing good to come from them, right? I'll never do it again. I'll never wrestle him again. It did a lot to me that night when WWE, right, when I, left there i was kind of like oh god what do i do but i was tired and i lost my passion and that night i recaptured it and it was a very special night probably one probably the, the most special night i've had so far in the business um it's just the stars aligned and everything was perfect for it it was story driven it was compelling it's everything you possibly want from an audience to enjoy and all the emotions crying happy Bleeding everywhere. Well, that was a little excessive that night. <laughs> a little bit. Um, what was, uh, not, I don't have to ask the conversations you guys had, but I guess just like your reaction to Cody going back to WWE after what he had been able to create at AEW. I was happy for him, but I was also, you know, I missed him already and I miss him um, being there, but I know he's, he's young and, you know, let's go go do your thing. So I'm very happy for him. And I'm like, Hey man, the more power to you, go get that title and win it all and do your stuff. 
I don't have that much time left here with you, but there's a few things I still really want to talk to you about. Um, and one of them, of course, has to be the Gold Dust character. The reason why I love professional wrestling is because of the Gold Dust character. What is uh, what are your feelings about the Gold Dust character? Gold Dust character over years has come a long way um, and has grown to be loved and adorned by fans all over. And I couldn't be a heel anymore. But it's very hard at the beginning. Vince gave me full reins with it. You know, he would pipe in his suggestions. He was very hands-on. He was like my acting coach to bring this voice to fruition, to bring this certain rub that I do or whatever it is, just being there constantly and directing me and said, you got this one better. I know you can do this. And he, he would tell me how to do it. And I would do it and say, yes, that's good. That's good. And so I kind of learned, okay, this is the way he likes it. So let's see how it does with the crowd and things like that. And for the first six months, man, Goldust was really tough because he's a heel, number one, which I hadn't been. And he's a character and he's a very far away character from anything that I do in life. Why do you think Vince thought that you were the perfect person to do this gold dust character? Because, yeah, you are very far off of this gold dust character. I wonder why he thought that you were the guy to pull this off. So looking at it right now and laughing at it, because it, it could have been a rip. But I do have one thing to say about like when me and dad wrestled Ted DiBiase and Virgil. In 1990, that was my first WWF experience, right? And the Royal Rumble. That night, Dad left to Florida. And I talked to Dad. I said, can I ask for my release too? We're under really contracts back then. It was different back then, right? So I went to ask him. And he said, of course, yes, you can. And then he grabbed Dad aside. And Dad told me this years later. And he said, you take him now, but I'm going to bring him back and make him a star. So there's little things that... Okay, could this be a rib or is it a serious thing? And he sees something in this character. I don't know. But it took me a long time to figure that shit out. And Sabio Vega was the one who coaxed it out of me with the rubbing on his body and shit. And that shit worked like that. <laughs> yeah. How do you think the Gold Dust character would work today? I mean, I know it wasn't even all that long ago that you still were wrestling as Gold Dust. Um, but to bring a character like that into professional wrestling now? It absolutely would not work. The way Goldust was portrayed back in the 90s, right? He was very androgynous. We would never say the word gay. I don't think it would work because those things back then were like way, way ahead of its time. They got lots of letters, lots of letters saying that they weren't going to let their kids watch this shit anymore. You know, moms are upset, but the ratings kept getting bigger and better so we were doing something right but it was just very pushing the envelope as far as you could possibly do it stepping over that line and today trying to do something like that no it is very accepted to do this right now so if i did that today they would protect me like crazy of course you have your few conservative people out there that just you know look down on shit like that and it's like they're, they're never going to change there's no progression at all in their lives they're stuck in the stone age and it's like it's 2022. No, it would not work today. No, I agree. I think, I think most would have to agree with that, but at the time it was just so ahead of its time. The character was incredible. I and mean, I was actually just rewatching back the uh, Hollywood backlot brawl this afternoon as we were getting ready uh, for this interview, because that is my favorite wrestling match of all time. I love the Hollywood backlot brawl. We both went to the hospital that night. What time? Oh, my God. Yes, he broke his hand. Vince didn't want me to get any juice. I love juice. I'm a Rhodes. So I talked to Roddy into busting me open the hard way. You'd think a fucking vet of the business would know how to bust somebody open. He just hit me flat-fisted in the top of the head twice, and he broke his hand. Watch the second shot to my hand. You can hear it pop. I promise. Oh, God. What did you have to go to the hospital for? What injuries did you have? Concussion. He hit me so hard, my brain just rattled, right? Um, you mentioned your wife earlier. You guys have been together for so long. What do you attribute the, the longevity of your relationship to and like keeping things alive and keeping the spark alive? My wife's been far more wonderful than I am and looking after me and being an incredible person and taking care of everything when I was away 
This is before I came to America. I mean, there was one time the year before I came to America, 1992, I was away for nine months. Then the year I came to America, 93, we saw each other. She came for three months of the summer because that's all she was allowed to come for because of visas. We have a silly sense of humor and it gets us through things and we, we laugh about stuff and sometimes don't. And, 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 and that's life. Uh, we've got each other and that's what matters. And, she, and, and another thing is she doesn't, from the day I met her, she doesn't like wrestling in any way. So there's no wrestling at my house. My sons were brought up without any wrestling apart from coming to one week a year. They'd come in their school holidays with me. William Regal gets left at the airport. And I used to have a, I had a, a very strict rule with that. Even to wrestle in Atlanta, I live south of Atlanta, but to live in Atlanta, I had to go past the airport to get to the arena in Atlanta. And that's when William Regal switches on and Darren switches off when he comes home and there's not a picture of me in this house anywhere of anything. You wouldn't know I was a wrestler. And I think another thing, a true part of that is the fact that I go away a lot. We don't get on each other's nerves as much as we probably... Well, it's not that my wife gets on my... I would get on hers. I get up this like this morning and I'm doing Elvis impressions and she's just looking at me like I've just dropped out of a dog's backside, like you mental... <laughs> I feel like your wife and I could probably, um, we, we probably have a lot in common when it comes to uh, the ridiculous things that happen in our households. You've both chosen to spend your lives with rogues. And I think that's what attracts me to your husband. And rogues spot rogues. And myself and John spent so little time around each other, except for a few car rides. When we first met, this was mainly on him because he likes to keep his mystique about him, which is what I liked. And if we were in a car and maybe Claudio was there or something, but we, we sort of, I don't know if that was him purposely trying to like keep this thing going with us, uh, because we used to talk a little bit about that, that, that nobody has any mystique. I remember John saying to me once, this was when I first met him, you know, nobody has any mystique in this job. And I somewhat, I'm more open to it, but I can... I still keep a bit of mystique because you don't know what the character's going to be. What about with Brian? What is the relationship like with Brian? I mean, you guys go so far back, especially early on for, for Brian's career. What is your relationship like with him? It's more of a friendly, chatty relationship, but it's always been like that. I ended up inheriting the training job at Memphis Championship Wrestling. I came back to WWE in... There's a few myths about how I got back to WWE. They're not true. Back there at the beginning of March, starting on the 1st of March, I went to Memphis Championship Wrestling for six months, being told by Jim Ross, you'll be there exactly six months, and as long as you don't do anything silly, which my life would change the year before, I just go, no, that's the end of that. Whatever I was going through before, just moved on. And I was there exactly six months. I had a certain match at a point, a lot of people know about, but I had a match that went on at a Brian Pillman show at that time. That's what we were watching this morning was that match. John really wanted to to get into that. I've heard stories of that's what got me back in WWE. I was already paid by WWE. They were seeing my stuff every week from Memphis and getting reports about what I was doing. That just happened to be why it was going on. Why does that match feel so special? It seems like that is kind of the standard bearer for a lot of professional wrestlers to look to. It's just another day at work to me, you know, I mean, because it, we've been doing that kind of stuff. You're being humble. No, but we, there's, there's, there's videos with Chris. You can actually find one. I think it's on my birthday, 10th of May, 1993. There's one on YouTube of me and him doing that same style of stuff in some little place in Tennessee for WCW and people hadn't got a clue what we were doing. We were doing, that was what we did. Anytime we got to, to wrestle each other. We did different stuff than everybody else and, and a different kind of whatever. So it was just, we got booked together, we turned up, and I don't mind telling that story. I know it's a touchy subject, and, and, and it should be, but let's separate whatever happened to the actual talent and, and the person. I had a pretty much of a plan of what this match was because it was stuff that I either knew we could do or we didn't need to talk about. We just react off each other. But there is a myth out there that I, I got hired back 
by WWE after that. I was already working for WWE. I finished getting paid for WCW on the 28th of February 2000. I started getting paid by WWE on March the 1st. And then March, I think it was about the 8th or whatever, I went to Memphis. I was there for six months and then I started coming back on doing little bits. And then the first thing that I ever did was with Chris Jericho when I did a Goodwill Ambassador thing and it was six months exactly. Because I went to Memphis and we did some incredible stuff there. Less than a month, Brian turned up. Brian and Spanky and Lance Cade and a fellow called Shooter Schultz, who were all from Shawn Michaels School. And I was going to the training. And then when everybody left, I'd stay in the ring on my own. And that's all of a sudden from day one, Brian and Spanky. And the guy called, uh, who gets no recognition anymore, but should do because he was head of the game on a lot of independent star wrestling, was uh, Reckless Youth, Tom Carter. He was there at the time. And we'd train on all kinds of stuff because they were helping me as much. And people say I helped. No, they helped me far more than I think I helped them. And then they started showing me different Japanese stuff because I knew my stuff from New Japan, but then they were showing me all Japan stuff and that. So we were sort of doing all this incredible mixing of styles and, and they were they were helping me more than I, as much, if not more, than I was helping them. But I was showing them old English stuff or we were watching tapes and, and we were just working on all this stuff. And so that led to my connection with Brian and then it went from there. You know, I, I got moved up to the main roster. Brian went on his way. Eventually, I helped. I, it's not, I don't like to say I did anything for him. Because it was just, he wanted to get good at that European style. I hooked him up going to England, which he did for the next four years. When he was doing independent shows, when he was back in America, occasionally he'd come and stay at my house. He was in the Atlanta area. He turned up once, he looked like the Unibomber. And I said to him, what's the beard all about? He went, you do know that razors are $10 a bag. And I went, okay, that makes perfect sense to you why you've got this beard. and. His gear, gear was a bit scruffy. So this, this would have been beginning into the 2000s now. In 1996, I, I had what I thought was one of my best wrestling years in WCW. I was the only person that year, and you can look this up, who was really going all over the world. Because I was in WCW, but I was going backwards and forwards to Japan. And I was also, they let me go to England. They let me go to Germany. That I was doing other things, and I was wrestling all the luchadors and all the people that nobody else could wrestle. So anyway, I, I used to, that's where the maroon came from. I used to wear trunks and boots. I had a gear change about the first few months of 1996. Well, I still had the same boots and trunks. So I gave those to Brian because he looked like a tramp, to be honest with you. As, as, well, well, you know, there's no word... Tramp in America means something different than England. No, like Lady and the Tramp. You're scruffy and like uh, homely. He looked like a tramp. So I give him this gear. So any of that stuff that he had with the maroon boots, knee pads and trunks, they were mine. These are just things that happened, but my name gets attached to him or things like this. There's little things that connect to all. But also in March 2000, WWE sent me over to California for a three-day seminar with the UPW people. So I met, at the same time as meeting Brian, I met John Cena, Samoa Joe, Chris Daniels, Frankie Kazarian, Victoria, all these people that were there. So all of a sudden, between them knowing that I would help people, between Brian, the word of Brian spreading and, and Ring of Honor starting because of really one match that Spanky and Brian Danielson had, that was the thing that sort of got that going all these younger wrestlers started if they were extras for WWE or even if not they were somehow getting hold of me and asking me to watch their stuff because it was the day of the DVD there'd been an influence of British wrestling the tape traders had started getting stuff and what they were getting was Johnny Saint and Steve Gray and Iron Fist Clive Myers I was seeing people trying to do some of this English stuff but not quite knowing how to do it not long after, I think it was 2002 or three. Dave Taylor lives three miles from me, just down the road. He, he opened up a finishing school for wrestlers. It, it lasted about a year. But one of the first things that happened was CM Punk, Chris Hero and Ace Steel all turned up one week together. 
I met those guys. And then not long after that, Cesaro, when he was living in Switzerland, turned up to Dave Taylor's school. So I'd come back off the road for WWE on Tuesday. I'd be there Wednesday, Thursday, just help for a few hours. So I got to know that group of fellas. And it's sort of meeting anytime we're in the Northeast, especially in the Northeast of, of America, which was a lot, as you know, is a lot of the shows are there. A lot of the extras that were coming, who were people that either worked in Ring of Honor or were in that independent world. The word go around that there's somebody that was is quite happy to give you all your time because I didn't play cards. I've got no interest in sports. I don't like pack mentality and gossip. So I used to not be in the dressing room a lot, right? Some people at the time took that as me being a bit arrogant. No, I was out by the ring. And if you want to come and pick my brain, and, and it's not that I know anything, I want to learn as much from you as I can learn because it's all changing, right? I want to learn from the talent as much as they can take from me. But I can say, well, maybe try this, maybe try that. Or And it's not about me. It's about what I've seen or been through or say, look, I can save you a thousand matches worth of working this out. If you just do that, it'll look better. Or I've seen this guy do this, or I've seen this lady do this, or I've seen this, because I've been around for 39 years since I had my first match. Fight fans, take your best shot with a risk-free bet of up to $1,000 from FanDuel Sportsbook. Even if your fighter gets knocked out or tapped out, New customers get up to $1,000 back if your first bet doesn't win. Just sign up using the promo code Renee to bet on all the biggest boxing matches and UFC fights. Get up in there. Make some money. You guys can choose from the money line and the method of victory and so much more. FanDuel is America's number one sports book. The app is so freaking easy to use. And when you win, you get paid real fast. And FanDuel Sportsbook has just launched in Ontario, Canada, my home province. Let's get after it. So to please your first bet risk-free, just sign up with the promo code Renee. That's R-E-N-E-E. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Minnesota, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, or Wyoming. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as is non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 for Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG for Colorado, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Virginia. 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-877-8- Hope NY or text Hope NY for New York, Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee and visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia or 1-800-522-4700 for Wyoming. So really quickly, and we don't need to dwell on this by uh, any stretch of the nature, but talking about the moments of you being let go by WWE, you take onus for a lot of those moments and the things that you were doing and you know where you were at in your life at that point. But this time around, being released from NXT, uh, given the role that you were in, the many different hats that you were wearing there, um, how did you feel about that one? There, like, I can't imagine that you feel that that one is one that you should be taking ownership for. I was expecting it, to be honest. It makes perfect business sense as well, because you can't have somebody else come in when everybody there is still coming up to me and asking me what they should be doing. Could you really feel the changes starting to happen? I mean, Yes. I mean, that was happening from, from last summer and it was the perfect storm. And then, then Paul got ill. I was all, I was all on board for the changes. I'm going to tell this, might as well tell this story now. How long have we got, Renee? Have we got a bit of time? We have as much time as you want. Okay. So I have a theory that everything peaked at Portland. We did Portland NXT in February of 2020. And we all came out after that night. Didn't matter what was going on else again. Everybody's got a different story. 2019, after the initial thing of, oh, there's another show starting, it was, if you want to all think about this or he's trying to beat this or he's trying to, I'm not. There's a hundred other people that will be thinking about what's going on somewhere else. It's just wasted that space for me. 
I'm going to work on the people that work with us and try and help them get better. That's just me. It's just another day at work and everybody else who wants to gossip, it's something for them to do. I'm just working for the company I'm working for. I'm going to do the best job I can and I'll get on with it. So we came out of Portland. Again, there was all this other stuff going on, but also in 2019, I nearly died. Oh my God. January the 4th of 2019, I was given 24 hours to live and they were going to cut my leg off because I had sepsis in it, right? And I managed to kick out of it. I'd been in hospital for eight weeks and I, I, was, I, I thought I was going to die. I got my family around me at Christmas that year. Uh, in 2018 because I thought and I'd made peace with the fact that I was going to die. So when I came back in 2019, there was a lot more stuff going on. There was, you know, AEW said, I haven't got time for all that. I need to make NXT what it can, you know, that's my, I work here. Let's, let's do this, right? But 2020, we go into Portland and we come out and all the top fellas were coming up to me and going, we've done this style to death. We've done everything. And there was people trying to figure out how can we change a bit of something because it's going to be more of the same from now on. There was a few little discussions like that going on and we were all, so we were starting to think like that and then COVID it. And then it was, never mind that, let's just survive. Well, the first five months, I couldn't even, they wouldn't let me go down there because I'd had this pericardectomy. Well, a pericardectomy is a very rare thing to have. Basically, your heart is contained inside a sac. Well, the sac around my heart got infected many years ago and then calcified and was crushing my heart. And it was a solid lump of light rock around my heart. So they had to cut me out and take away that rock. So my heart became normal, right? So it was beating normal. But there's no protection of the, the skin around my heart. I still, it's never going to be there. And so they didn't know, because COVID was new to them, they didn't know if, if I got it, if this would just go directly to my heart. And so I had to sit at home and do everything on this. You know, I was doing Zoom calls, I was doing whatever we were doing. So not to sit idle, we had a crew in the UK, and it, which was actually really great, because six hours a day, five days a week, we were doing loads and loads of old British matches with the UK crew in different groups and break. We had 50 matches we did over six weeks that we broke down and look, if you can just take a little bit of that and make it a little bit different. And I kept myself busy, constantly busy in that five months. And then the doctor said, oh, it's okay for you to come down here. So when I heard last summer that we wanted a revamp, I'm like, great. And when I actually heard what Mr. McMahon wanted, I was all for that. But when it comes to athletes, the PC is, at the end of the day, people see all these, have these nonsense ideas about what it, it's the biggest wrestling school in the world. And it is an incredible wrestling school. The PC works if you put your time in. If you come in there, you just turn up and do your class once a day and you go home, it's not going to work unless you are the one, the magic one that can just do everything. You have to put your time in. And I know this personally, sometimes the talent, who are getting paid there, who aren't doing well, perhaps they need to look themselves in the mirror and realise instead of spending time on their phone, perhaps they should be in the rings trying to get better. I can tell you this from last November. I was in rings when there was, it was myself, Adeki Suzuki, Tim Thatcher and Danny Birch in an open ring, which is, means anybody can come and get in our ring. We were training with each other. I watched this several times. Two classes do their class not really paying attention to the people in the ring or the trainer telling them anything, get in the ring, do their five minutes, get out, walk straight to their phones, pick it up and walk out the building. Not one person come to our ring. It's our fault that you're not going home and practicing your promos on your own time. You just do it when it's promo day. Well, that's not going to get you anywhere unless you are the one. Say Robbie Brookside, you mentioned him before, they go to his class. You cannot get much, much more experienced or know more than he does. Because he's so good at that and because he's so good at being the opening coach there, they go to his class, oh, well, it's just basics. And he teaches them, they can't wait to leave and they never go back. I've asked people, do you ever go back to Robert's class and actually learn or keep doing your, I don't need that. Yes, you do. Because I can have a match with just an headlock and a wrist lock. I don't need any more than that. And I'll make it 
last for an hour if you need to, because I know enough stuff to make it look good and to put the emotions and stuff in between. Johnny Gargano taught me something not too long ago, before I left there. He said, you can make wrestlers, but you can't make them love it. So at the end of the day, it's the biggest wrestling school in the world. People are going to come and go, or people are just going to have the run. That was normal wrestling life for many years for all of us before any, when there was just big companies, if you got six months in one place or a year in one place, that was a good thing. So if you get more than that, you're doing well. The pitfalls of wrestling, I don't need to tell you that, but you've got to either up your game, you've got to change your character, you've got to get good at something, you've got to connect with somebody, you've got to do something. Most of the independent wrestlers that were out there getting really good or getting names for themselves in the last 10 years have been signed up somewhere. So the new people, unfortunately, they've come into COVID. Anybody who's got over in this COVID period has done incredibly well. Daniel Garcia and Wheelie Utah, they managed to get themselves noticed in COVID. How amazing is that, that they got themselves noticed? There are very little places to go, but they got themselves noticed. So there's all these things were happening. I was all for the fact that, okay, if the boss doesn't want independent fellas, now we've got to get masses of numbers because you're only going to get one out of every 50 or 100 that actually really wants to put the time in and, and, and love this and, and work and do every, being there all day long, every day, trying to hone their craft. There's a lot of people talk a good game. They don't actually put the time in. So there's a lot of things that I thought need a kick up the backside here because people are not paying attention. And nobody had to tell me to go up to better wrestlers when I was younger and try and pick their brains. Nobody had to tell me to work on everything that I could work on. That's why I got to where I got to. And not only I was fortunate to have the best wrestlers you could possibly possibly have in Europe because I bothered them they took me in right well you've got it in that you've got a team of people in that place that know what they're doing and now you've got a team you've got incredible people in AW so all the talent now have got all these people John Brian the books have made their own way I, I've known them for years right I used to marvel at them well good for them lads they've, they've figured their part of this world out and they're making it work and so Whatever your style of wrestling is or whatever it is, there's people that you can learn from, right, in this day and age. So I was all for that. I know this is a long kind of a thing, but I was all for the change. But then I also get that if you're trying to make a complete change, you might not think that I'm, I'm quite open. I don't know if anybody knew that I was very open to the fact that, that I wanted to be a big part of that. And I was because I was very hands-on with the Creed Brothers and very hands-on with Bron Breaker, right? I had an incredible run on the main roster and I have had the absolute greatest run possible in NXT. So if, if, if nothing else, the time came when it was time to go now so it didn't become something I didn't like and move on. And so that's the way I look at it. Football fans, check out the Three and Out podcast with John Middlecoff only on the Volume Podcast Network. John brings his unique perspective as an ex-NFL scout to the volume to break down all the news around the NFL and college football. Whether you're looking for game predictions, coaching searches, the ins and outs of the NFL front office, even an occasional golf tip, John has you covered. Download 3 and Out with John Middlecoff, only on the Volume Podcast Network. And now on to this new chapter, working with the Blackpool Combat Club. I mean, you guys are Incredible. That goes without saying. Working with Brian, working with John. Um, I love watching you do just about anything. Literally, like the smile I got on my face when you first showed up with them. I was at home. I think I was watching with, see, they're watching with my mom or John's mom. And I was like, oh my God, it's happening. William Regal's here. He's coming out. But just the simple things from when you go from commentary, walking down the ramp into the ring, there's like a sparkle in your eye that is just tells. Such a story with such simplistic, simplistic, um, yeah, just like the, the bare bones of the things that you do make everything just seem so magical and alive. And I love to watch those things. Um, and you've been able to work with so many amazing people. You, you know, we've talked about a bunch of them throughout this episode while also looking at the hats that you've worn and the talent that, that you've been able to, uh, to kind of hone in on. So my, my last question to you, 
with all of these amazing people. I can't believe that I'm just getting to do my thing with this group because they brought me into this. It's amazing. And I'm like kicking myself every day when I get there. I'm, I'm with three that I really get on with. We're all of the same mindset about keeping the strength of the job and doing things a certain way. None of us are trying to overshadow each other because I trust them to tell me what they, they want. It works so beautifully. We just react off each other and that's all we do. And I get to just be whatever's built up of, of William Regal is a more than 39 years of, of being in the wrestling business and then all the things that influenced me without realizing the comedy and, and, and stuff and comedians from Britain and whatever. I, I don't even think about what we're, we're, I just turn into this thing and there's no thought whatsoever. Zero thought. It just becomes, it's just second nature. And you leave me to do my little things and whatever that I don't know where that off the time I have to think, where's that come from? Oh yeah. That, that might have, I did something the other night and it just come out of me because I was thinking of a certain thing. It come out of me and I thought, Oh, that's from obscure British comedy show that I love that my favorite comedian's in. It's like a cult thing in England. And it, there was one word and I met, I just said it when I got on commentary the other night and started laughing. And I'm like, if anybody gets this good, if they don't, it, it just adds, it just adds like, but we're all like that. We all seem to be as far as John and whatever John, John is, is John and he has, he's created whatever he is. I don't know. I don't want to ask him that, how he gets into whatever he is. I don't need to ask Brian because Brian's is what it is. And Wheeler's doing whatever he is and, and, and doing that. So it, it's fun. So really fun. It's it's really great. I love watching you do your thing. You're the best. Um, I just, I appreciate you taking the time and getting to hang out with me. I could listen to you tell me these stories all day long, um, but I've taken up a good chunk of your day at this point. But uh, I really appreciate you hanging out with me for a bit. Now, what was your last question? Because you said you had one more question. What do you think Claudio Castagnoli should do right now? Just be Claudio. Because there's only four people that I have ever gone to Mr. McMahon or to Triple H with who I have said, and this is nothing to do with the job, but who I have said, I cannot tell you what I put my, what I say, put my card. That means I put my reputation on. I put my job on the line once for Sasha Banks. She was somebody I went because I knew her and my first thing on the job was hire this lady because I see and I said if it doesn't work out you can fire me she's not one of them that was a separate thing I've only put my card to four people where I've gone and said look I can't tell you if they're going to draw you any money but they are incredible at what they do they are professional they will always be there they will represent the company well everything that you could want out of a person and Two of them was Brian and Claudio was the second. So that's how much I think of him. And I just think that he needs to do whatever he feels is right for his family. If my words mean anything, again, it's not about what you think is right or wrong. If nothing else, to have the stabilizing influence of a thousand percent uh, no, let me not say that because that's stupid. It's a thousand percent, one hundred percent professional person who everybody can look up to and watch and learn from, and learn, uh, you know, everything that you could possibly want to be as a professional. Dresses like a star, as a human being, speaks five languages perfectly, can represent your company anywhere. That's before we even get into the ring. If you're not used, if you, you can't find, you don't think that he's, then again, maybe there's something wrong somewhere. Because I would, if it was, I had any clout anywhere as far as that much stuff, I would be going. I would sacrifice some of the money from that roster to, to get rid of it. And I, this may sound horrible to get him. I don't think that sounds horrible at all. I don't think that sounds horrible. I think there's so much value in Claudio. That is how much he would bring to any locker room. Agreed. So that's my opinion. 
Thanks so much for hanging out with us, guys. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed the week, enjoyed the best of the sessions. You guys can hear the full-length interviews um, anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Just uh, download them, give them a listen, give them a like, a review. And if you want to see what you're hearing, head on over to my YouTube page. Just search Renee Paquette. It's all up there, and you can see us talking having this interview, having a hangout, it's all up on there. Um, and that's been like a really great, cool, growing community. So uh, I'm really enjoying the hangouts on the YouTube as well. So we can see you guys over there. And jump in the comment section, you know. Jump in, chime in, leave a comment. Uh, we like filtering through them all, reading about them. Maybe even like, I don't know, some constructive criticism if you had it. We're all ears. God, did I open up a can of worms by saying that? I don't know. Be nice. Be cool in there. This has been The Sessions.